Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. I uh, hope it's warmer where you are right now as we start into December 2018. Um, and as always, at the end of the year, everybody starts to reflect on the entire year. and they, Everybody says, oh boy, I can't believe how the year went by really quickly. And I think business owners do that even more so because they're in, in the race the entire time. And so the, today's topic is going to be something that uh, they're going to be able to relate to very easily. I absolutely agree. And when we talked about what we were going to discuss right towards the end of the year, I think this is a fabulous topic. So today we're going to be reviewing several articles about the end of year moves that you can make to save in taxes and keep more money in your pocket and use that to then be able to uplevel your business. So we're going to discuss some actions that many business owners will need to do at the end of the year to close out your books and stay organized. And some of the things that we'll discuss today are probably status quo type of things that you've heard from many different positions. And we're going to help you think through those and evaluate them from an abundance perspective so that you can get your money to do the most for you and not just necessarily follow status quo advice. Rachel, you know, the point we ought to make here is that uh, this also means you should be doing this on your personal level too, for your personal economy. And I used to beat up Matt Lauer all the time on a Today show because right around this time of the year, he'd have his famous uh, supposed financial expert come in and tell people what they needed to do before the end of the year. And what I think what always irritated me was it was a one size fits all approach to tax planning and both individuals and businesses it shouldn't be. So that should be our theme today is that we understand how you get bombarded with, oh, you need to do this before the end of the year as a business owner or a personal economy. So we're going to try to help you sift through the things. And probably a good disclosure is, once again, Rachel and I are not uh, CPAs or accountants. Uh, We do deal with this a lot with our resources, our CPAs and accountants, and we are going to have a resource at the end that you could turn to. And we are probably a little late in this podcast trying to get this information out to people, but heck, we're business owners and that's what happens with business owners. We put things off to the, to the last minute and hopefully this will be a good uh, impetus for a good goal for people going into 2019. Absolutely. So it can use you can use this to shore up your 2018 and round that out as best as possible. And then also, yes, come into 2019, ready to go and really up-level your business there. So We've got five articles we're going to bring to you today. We will absolutely have the links to all of these in the show notes, and you're going to hear what we think of the each of these articles, and then we're going to talk through them. There is a lot of overlap between them. There's a several different perspectives and topics, and they will also very much apply to you differently. As Bruce just mentioned, there's not one size fits all. You might have employees or you might not. You might have 1099 contractors or you might not. You might be handling all your bookkeeping personally, or you might be hiring that out. So wherever you stand today, you can use this to be able to grow and know that some of this will not necessarily apply to you in your current situation, but it may for the next level that you're going to in business. 
So let's go ahead and jump into this first article. Um, this is called Five Things Business Owners Can Do at the End at Year End to Lower Their Taxes. And this is put out by, I believe you call it NOLO, mm-hmm. um, an article by Stephen Fishman. So Bruce, as I read through this article, I felt like there was a lot of very standard, typical type of advice in this article, but also some really helpful things um, to think through final steps in the end of the year to lower taxes. Let's go ahead and talk through those. Yeah, you know, this is the one where I think there's always good intentions by people when they when they write articles like this, but I think a lot of these do a lot more harm than good. Uh, you know, yeah. they start out with need professional help, talk to a tax attorney, uh, and I agree with that. What is the type of tax you owe, federal, state, local? Most of the time, it's all three. And the very first one that they suggest just absolutely drives me crazy because they say buy business equipment because you get such a great deduction from the IRS tax code section 179. And frankly, with the new Tax Cut and Jobs Act, they actually um, made this much more appealing because they raised, I believe the the previous deduction was about 550,000. Now they raise it to 1 million. But just just so our listeners understand, what I'm talking about here is you should never, in my opinion, buy equipment just to get the tax deduction because the, the tax deduction, yes, will be nice for you as far as cash flow, but you have to do an evaluation to see one of your, um, your business needs that piece of equipment. And then you also have to figure out is what's the cost of loss uh, on the amount of money you actually spend on that piece of equipment. And because right, it's still an expense. I mean, making one expense to have a small amount of savings doesn't make any sense at all if you didn't need that expense in the first it place. Is a, and we're all guilty of this. I know, I know uh, clients that do this all the time. They say, well, I just bought a new truck for my business. So I got this big section 179 deduction. And I, and I'm like, well, did you need the truck? Well, it's kind of nice to have a new truck. You know, I was spending a lot of money on uh, repairs and maintenance. Well, you, if our listeners remember, I used to own an auto repair shop in my, and I grew up in an auto repair shop. And I can tell you that mm-hmm. that is the thing you hear all the time is, well, I don't want to put $2,000 into this Ford pickup on its, its transmission repair because it's got so many miles on it. I'm just going to go out and buy another one. I'm not going to keep throwing money at this truck. Well, it doesn't make any sense when you to only throw or it makes more sense to me to throw $2,000 into a truck than it does to go buy a $50,000 truck that you're going to have $2,400 of sales tax. So you're going to pay more in sales tax than you were actually going to pay for the repair. And oh, by the way, you still have either a lease payment, a a car payment, or you took $55,000 out of your cash. that, That is the cost of loss or loss opportunity cost for you to put it somewhere else in your business. So there. Absolutely. And then not to mention now the insurance has oh. also gone up. The gas mileage is probably less. So you're going to spend more on gas and potentially your property taxes are going to go up as a result oh, of that too. So there's going to be additional yeah. costs. So I would say to that same thing. Yes. Let's make sure that we're looking at the whole cash flow, saving on tax. If you spent more money in expenses is still not as much cash flow as you would have had if you just kept the money in the first place and didn't buy the equipment. That being said, if you do need the equipment, yes, you can get that um, section 179. There's also bonus depreciation, which is even better than last year as well. 
So if you do sincerely need the equipment, yes, it can be a good tax write-off, but make sure you're planning if you actually need that. And the next one is establish and fund retirement plans. Um, You know, if you need this for an employee benefit, you know, that that may be, you, you have to evaluate whether you really need that. If it's for yourself, once again, you have to decide whether you want to fund a retirement plan on your own and pull money out of your your own business that you actually control. And if you control it, you probably are going to control the appreciation of your business and you may get a greater return in your business than you would if you started to fund a solo 401k plan for yourself in the future. And again, just to point out, when you're talking about control, if you have that money usable and liquid in your business, you have a lot more options with it as opposed to sticking it somewhere that you can't access. And I think that's really where you're going with that control piece. And so, yeah, this really is one of those typical things that you're going to hear from most of the status quo. And yes, you do reduce taxable income in this year, 2018, if you put money into this type of tax deferred vehicle. But Watch out because in the future, you will pay tax when you take that money out at future tax rates, which you may not necessarily have any idea or indication what those could be. They could certainly and sincerely be higher than they are now. And you're also looking at typically in a retirement plan, you also have your money invested in the stock market. You have that potential volatility and fluctuation where your money could drop in value and then that that lack of control. So if you're thinking of using money in real estate, it's better to separate the tax deferral from the tax advantages that you're going to get in the real estate and not try to merge them together. So those are all great points. Um, It's all about control. We preach control all the time. Uh, The next one is selling, losing stocks. Well, you'd have to have stocks to actually sell them. Right. Um, Also, I think you need to talk to your financial advisor. I I don't think you always just sell losing stocks just so you get a tax... uh, a tax deduction and that tax deduction uh, capital losses is, is uh, capped at $3,000. So this is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we need to probably go into this much more, much more than that. The number, okay, the fourth great. one, uh, opening an HSA. Well, this is one that I actually personally uh, think there might be a time where you do give up control of your money. And because it's the only thing that I know of, and I've talked to many accountants, CPAs, so on and so forth. It's the only thing that you can actually place money into that's tax deferred. So you get a tax deduction and it's actually a good, it's a, it's an above the line tax deduction. So it goes before your adjusted gross income and then you get to take it out tax free. So it's the only thing that does that. Now you do lose control because whatever you put in there, um, you can't have access to it, much like an IRA. However, if you do good planning and you take care of your health, which we both are uh, agreement with that people need to Absolutely. maximize themselves by taking uh, care of their health, you can strategically use this properly because you don't have to. It's not one of those things where you have to fund an HSA before you use it. So if you're going to go have a procedure done, um, that you you know you're going to have to have done and you're going to have a deductible for it or you're going to have some coinsurance for it, then simply put the money in right before you have it, get the deduction, then you get to access it for that particular health, qualified health uh, 
procedure and you get to access it tax-free. Absolutely. And I think this is a great way to go. Um, Keep in mind that this does only work with certain high deductible health plans. The HSA is the health savings account that is paired, paired and partnered with that health plan. And then the maximum contribution is $3,500 per year for a single person or $7,000 for a family. So those are some limitations that you might be wanting to be aware of around that. But yes, absolutely great. Um, if your health plan is compatible and you're, you're not necessarily wanting to prepay your health. Yeah. So then number five is donate to charity. And Bruce, I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart. Um, This is something that a lot of times at the end of the year, a business can make donations to something that is close to their heart, their value system, their purpose in life. You're you're able to get that deduction and the write-off for the charitable contribution as well. Um, Bruce, what else do you want to say on that? Well, I just I think that uh, depending on your other item itemized situations, now that we have the new cap limit on um, state taxes and real estate taxes and the new higher standard deduction, a person needs to understand that a donation to charity, first of all, you, you ought to be doing it because you really are doing it out of, the, out of your heart, not just to get right. the tax deduction. But there, there are times that you can do that donation to charity uh, that you will not get the benefit because you haven't itemized enough to go over the new standard deduction of $24,000. Yes, this is near and dear to my heart. My wife and I do a lot of charitable work. We're actually, this coming Saturday, it's it's Wednesday right now as we're doing this podcast, we are are chairing the Arthritis Foundation Gala here in St. Louis. So we we do uh, contribute a lot to charity. There are also things in your own individual states that you actually get... um, tax credits for to do. So um, in the past, we have donated to some women's shelters because we got a 50% tax uh, credit on all the donations and it was helping women in uh, these shelters. Uh, So those are things you could go uh, over with your accountant, your CPA, or your tax professional. That's excellent. And I do want to point out that a tax credit is different and more dollar for dollar than a tax deduction. So absolutely, it's um, a wonderful thing if your state allows it. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and move on to another article at this time. This is an article by Merrill Lynch called six tax tips for small business owners. A lot of similarities in this article, but some differences enough that we want to point out and give them both to you as a resource. And so just in general, as I read through this article, I felt like it was very helpful. I felt that there's some still of that same status quo type of advice you're going to hear that might not necessarily fit our model of cash flow and being in control, but still a beneficial article. So the first thing that they discuss in saving taxes was determine whether your business may qualify for different tax treatment. Now, there's a lot wrapped into this um, with the changes in the corporate tax rate and then also the 20% deduction for qualified business income that comes through from a flow-through entity. There's reasons why you may want to be an S-Corp as a flow-through entity, and there's reasons why you might want to be a C-Corp. I will point out something interesting that we had in a conversation with Dustin Griffiths at the earlier part of the year, is that if you are a C-Corp, you still want to recognize that you're paying a double taxation. So you're paying the corporate tax rate And then on top of that, you are also still having to pay tax on the personal level. So you really want to add those two taxes together to get what the true tax burden will be. But it's possible that moving to a C-Corp or moving to an S-Corp 
would be advantageous for you in your business to save tax? Yeah, and the um, there's two things uh, going forward, and, and, and we're certainly not qualified to, to talk deeply into this, but it's you cannot easily go back and forth from S corporations to C corporations to sole proprietors. There are some limitations on that. Don't let anybody tell you that even after the first of the year, oh, you had to set that entity up before the first of the year. There are ways to get waivers around that. So even in the first quarter, I I don't think you want to push it past the first quarter, but if your CPA could still get you to be identified as being taxed as a a C or an S corp, uh, for the 2019 year, and it's too late for 2018. Um, the, the waivers, um, um, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I'm almost sure that you you would not be able to do that. And then the last thing I'd like to talk about this because it is complicated with the pat the 20% pass through, and not and not all types of businesses actually qualify for this, and some qualify for a part of it, not all of it. So talk to your CPA about that. But what I'd like to tell you that this is the one time that you could potentially use deductions that would be out of your control that would actually get you more money because you would stay under the uh, deduction threshold for either joint or single filers. So let me see if I can simplify that. In order to qualify for the 20% deduction uh, off of your business pass-through income, you have to stay under a certain adjusted gross business income. And so this may be a time where you might go ahead and put 20000 into a, um, a SEP IRA or something uh, tax deferred where you lose control because you know you're going to get that 20% uh, pass-through deduction. That means you're paying less taxes going forward in that particular year. So this has to be evaluated with your CPA or your tax professional, and they can simply do it by punching in um, into the computer program. We are actually doing something at our firm with some of our business owners where they're actually contributing to some some oil and gas programs, to some real estate purchases that get, they, they actually get a they get cash flow off of it, but they also get upfront tax deductions that's going to keep them under that pass-through uh, uh, income threshold. So there's some creative things that you can do to make sure you get that 20% deduction. That's excellent. And I'll just point out as well, this is in the article, but the threshold that Bruce is talking about, if you exceed 415000 as a joint filer, you get no deduction. There's a, what's that term? There's a phase out that happens if your income is over 315000 for joint filers. Then if you're a single filer, no deduction over 207500 and the phase out begins at 157500 so those are just some of the numbers to be aware of that you definitely want to talk with your CPA. Yeah, and Rachel, I think I think those numbers you're talking about are only for service-related businesses. If you're not a service-related business, I do I don't think there is any uh, there, there's there's not any phase outs or limitations. But once again, I I, ta- I was talking to a CPA just the other day, and they said, well, unfortunately, we really haven't gotten a, a true. Um, 
definition from the IRS yet. And this was this was last last month in November. So they're really not even sure how to do it. So it's it's very difficult to do tax planning for 2018 when the IRS hasn't really come up with the exact definition for this. Um, oh, sure. You, Terms are a little important, but talk to your CPA yeah, on that. If you go to if you go on if you go on if you go Google uh, federal 1040 form right now, it will actually say draft on it. I'm and I well maybe I shouldn't say that a, a week ago it said draft on it maybe maybe December first it doesn't say draft anymore so they're not even sure what the 1040 form is going to look like yet so interesting really I think it's a very interesting thing so what's what oh absolutely what's the next thing we should be talking let's, about it so let's move on to um, number two is create a smart plan for paying taxes and that boy does that sound smart yeah. to create a smart plan so I guess the question then would be what is a smart plan and how do you handle that. Um, it is a little difficult, just Bruce, as you were mentioning about planning for the future when there are certain things that are still unknowns because of the tax law changes. But the article is generally talking about what's just really good planning, thinking about estimating what your taxes are going to be for the following year. And when you look at this, it's you don't want to be in a position where you're spending your income and being oblivious to the potential of taxation because we know it's going to be um, an eventuality that happens. And you want to have a plan in place. You want to have the money either set aside in reserves or have paid um, quarterly estimations along the way, but you want to not be blindsided by the fact that you have a $20,000 tax bill or $100,000 or $300,000. You want to be in a position where you have a plan to be able to pay that, and it's not going to be a burden or a hit to your cash flow. Absolutely. And it's it's probably the one thing, the, the payroll taxes and the estimated taxes for federal and state are probably the number one thing that derails a company because they haven't planned for this. That doesn't mean you have to make quarterly payments, but you have to plan on how much those those taxes are anticipate, how much those taxes are going to be so you have the, the resources to pay those. Absolutely. So the number three is set up or add to a retirement savings plan. Uh, we really already discussed this in the previous article. I don't see that there's anything there's additional. There's only one thing additional I'd here. like to uh, add to this is you don't have to try to make this decision by, typically, you don't have to try to make this decision by December 31st. You have all the way up to the filing date in April uh, to make this decision. Or October if or, you do the or, extension. Or October if you do the extension. So that's the only thing we need to talk about that. So let's move on then to take advantage of larger deductions for equipment. Um, that's something as well that was addressed in the previous article. Bruce, anything else you want to bring up in no, this? No, I slide? think this is this is great. There is a the one hundred percent bonus uh, bonus de depreciation deduction, which I believe was part of the Tax Job Act. You could you still only have be able to take up to fifty percent. Now you can take up to one hundred percent. So depending on depending on um, whether you had a really good year for some anomaly, you may you may. Uh, actually benefit from this. So talk to your tax professional about that. And also it applies to new and used equipment. So new to you. And so that's something that we discussed earlier in the year with Dustin Griffiths when we talked about the, the tax law changes as well. So um, yes, a few interesting points there. Number five, defer revenue and accelerate expenses or vice versa. Um, this is something that's going to come up again, as we discuss in a, a future article. Um, but this is something very interesting where you can plan ahead for an expense that you might have coming up in the future or 
income that's coming in this year when you feel that this year is going to be a really high income year and next year might be a little lower. So what you can do is if you want to slow down or shrink the taxable income this year and and put that into next year, you have the ability to send invoices towards the end of December to some of your well-paying clients so that their check comes to you in the income portion and that's into January of 2019. Or if you already- I must admit that this is something that I did last year very consciously because the tax rates for 2017 were higher than 2018. So when it came towards the end of the year, I started looking at potential revenue in December and I said, well, maybe I ought to just wait until January because I knew the, the tax structure would be less. So I deferred a couple of uh, revenue situations into January. Uh, accelerate expenses. I know for a fact this is what business owners do all the time. Well, I should say smart business owners do this all the time. Um, right. They will actually call up vendors and say, you know, I would uh, normally in December, I... I purchased this much inventory, but I want to go ahead and purchase my January inventory, but I but don't ship it until January. So they they actually pay for it a month a, ahead. I've done that on a variety of, of, of situations. And I've also had some of my business owners, one of them just called the other day and said, hey, uh, I need to really do this deferred comp for my employee so I could get the... Um, the tax deduction before the end of the year. Now, he was thinking correctly, except in the in, in the case of the deferred comp, how we had set it up, he wasn't going to get the deferred comp until it was distributed. So it didn't make any difference when he actually did, did the deferred comp. And, he, and I had to remind him of that. But at least he was thinking about different things that he could do. So this one's probably a very practical one and something that all business owners should do. Absolutely. Uh, So then we also have number six is contribute to charity, which we discussed as well um, before in the earlier article. Also, I'm just really paying close attention to that standard deduction and knowing that you can only deduct the charitable contribution if you are over the standard deduction of $24,000 for married filing jointly or $12,000 for individuals. So let's go ahead and move on then to another article. We've got an end of year checklist for small business owners. Yeah. And this is put out by Trailhead Accounting Solutions, a certified public accountant. Again, we are not CPAs, but they are. So we're going to take some of their fabulous wisdom and checklist advice to- Yeah, this is very easy to understand. And what I like about this, this is not just, just, this isn't necessarily about tax planning, but it's what every small business should be doing. And Rachel, I think we've talked about this in other podcasts. Small businesses- have a tendency, especially startups, to put bookkeeping, you know, whenever I can get to it. Because they they think if I just take care of increasing revenue, then I don't have to worry about the bookkeeping until later. And it's probably the biggest mistake that they do. So the big the number one thing is finish your bookkeeping and reconcile your accounts. And you can do that by you know, with your accounting software, whether it's a, a QuickBooks or a variety of other ones, having your bank and credit cards, but using, I believe using a professional is the best way to actually keep your books um, in order. 
Then when you look at number two, it's very similar. It says review your financials and scan for wacky looking accounts. So generate a year end profit and loss so that you can see exactly where your money's flowing and you might see where you're overspending. You might see where, where the revenue is not in relationship to some of your expenses. And that way you can make better goals coming in for uh, 2019. Number three. I do know something, something interesting in the wacky looking accounts is that if you see something that's showing up as a positive, that's supposed to be a negative, that can be a huge red flag. Also, most people, myself included in our accounting, we always will have that uncategorized account or ask my CPA. That's a huge red flag if you leave it there. So you really want to make sure you move it out of that account into wherever it's supposed to go. Talk to your bookkeeper, your CPA, get that moved out. Um, that's one of the wacky looking accounts that yeah, we really want to We talk of. about this with our business owner and frankly, our personal uh, people all the time when they have deductions say, we just need to categorize this, okay? And get it as close as possible. People are always, well, I don't know if this is marketing. I don't know if this was, you know, uh, uh, a, a business dinner. I don't know if this was... Uh, accounting, you know, it will categorize it the best you can and, and use your CPA mm -hmm. or your accountant to do that. Number, number three Absolutely. is very important. And if you don't do this, you need to hire somebody to do this because clean up your accounts receivable and your accounts payable. Accounts payable usually take care of itself because people are hounding you to pay them. Um, so you sure. usually get reminded, accounts receivable, it is unbelievable to me how many times I see how many accounts receivable are just out there 60, 90, 120, 180 days. And sometimes just because mm -hmm. people forgot to bill it or they forgot to follow up and they don't even bring that revenue mm -hmm. in. Now, this is something that if you can't do it because you're running as other aspects of your business, you need to pay somebody to um, do your accounts receivable and accounts payable obviously would be uh, something because you need to make sure that you get all the expenses for that you need for this year. Right. And just a few quick points in there. If you have an account that is an accounts receivable that you know you're never going to get paid on, um, you might just want to go ahead and write that off. If there's an open balance of 45 cents or those little mini balances where somebody maybe made an overpayment, then an underpayment, you might just want to write that off as well to be able to clean up the books and be able to move on cleanly into the next year. The number four of this article is take inventory. And I used to work in retail and I know how important this is because you do have inventory that's physical inventory. You also have inventory that sits on your books. And sometimes those numbers match and sometimes they don't. And you really want to make sure you take that physical inventory, match it up, make sure you shore up any discrepancies so that you know what you actually have in stock. That's going to account for anything that might have been potential overlooking, um, potential theft. I mean, even for some some businesses, they're looking, they're, they're not aware that what sits physically on their shelf is completely different than what's on the books. And that might even point to um, something that's going on with the employees that's an issue that might need to be corrected. And so... Um, definitely very, very important to make sure that mm -hmm. you have what you really think you have. And all this goes with the next point, schedule a meeting with your CPA to review your financials. So that's self-explanatory. Self Take the four hours out of your day, one day a week, and go do this. 
Um, because you might think why well, I'm losing four hours of production, but you're going to be gaining tremendous amount of insight into your your company and know where to move your next move needs to go. Absolutely. And we know that that comes along with tax planning as well for the future and planning out your next year. And so that's a huge part of it. It's Number very, six very is important. Send 1099s. This is, these are um, for independent contractors, your vendors. Uh, this is very important and they have to be done by July 31st. Um, I'm sorry, January, January 31st. 31st. Um, and this is, it, it can be done very easily by your accounting software or your accountant. So just make sure you do that. Um, number seven is print accounting reports for your records. It's always nice to have um, a few uh, a few records that you have, physical records, profit and loss, balance sheet, a detailed general ledger, accounts receivable that are aging, accounts payable that are aging, your ending inventory balances, your stockholder details, your receipts, your 1099s, your quarterly and payroll. Depending on the specific business, there are probably additional reports you would like to do. But having physical copies, my understanding from our tax people is you should keep those for at least two years. Now, in our this might be a little archaic because people say, well, I just save them on the cloud now. So however you're doing it, if, if, if it's not print, but make sure you're saving some kind of physical copy. Absolutely. Then we're going to move into number eight, which is budget and forecast for your new year goals. I think this is really important in every aspect of life, but even more so financially, because you're going to have a plan for next year. Maybe you're planning to grow. Maybe you have a new uh, marketing venture that you're launching. Uh, how is that going to affect not only the expenses, but also your sales and your cash flow? And you want to plan for that in advance, not be just going into the into the new year thinking, well, you're going to have business growth, but know how that's going to impact each area. And that's going to really help you avoid cash flow surprises, because even though you want to grow, there's the cash flow out in your expense that might have to be um, before the income comes in. And you want to make sure that you're accounting for that cash flow. Month yes. And month finally, I want this to be the, the thing that the, the greatest takeaway from this is it's time to hire a bookkeeper or controller. And, and with our new, what they call gig society, um, where people are just doing individual gigs, fractional CFOs are, are very popular now. So if you're spending five or 10 hours a week on book, on bookkeeping, uh, that is five or 10 hours a week that you could be spending in your own unique ability that you could actually either be growing more revenue for your business, or you could be um, handling uh, and reducing expenses. And it will more than pay for itself in most situations that, um, you, you get a virtual CFO or you hire somebody to do your bookkeeping on a full-time basis. Absolutely. So I feel like this article was really helpful. I think it was really practical. I believe that anyone could use this because as we come to the end of year, um, this really does apply to everyone in whatever stage of finance and business you are right now. So um, think through that and use this as a helpful checklist. This will lead us really easily and cleanly into article number four, which is a six minute read. I love that they posted that on this article by Accounting Pros. And um, it's also called an end of year checklist for small business owners. Same title as the last article we addressed. 
But this comes with a checklist at the end, which you can actually print out and use as a cheat sheet. And I really like that because it's a visual and it condenses everything very easily. So again, you're going to get some more information, a little bit of different information here as before, but a, sim a similar type of article. So the first thing that they talk about is that you want to collect your financial statements. We discussed that um, earlier. The only thing that they're really adding is having your previous tax years return having your previous year's tax return. So I would suggest always having that physically present in your, your bookkeeping and your filing system. And then they talk about reviewing your income statement and really kind of some things that you want to think through with that. Are there any items in my suspense or ask my account, ask my accountant category? We discussed that already. Are payroll totals accurate? Um, this is a huge IRS red flag. Bruce, do you want to say anything about that? Well, I, it, the IRS is, is um, charged with getting as much revenue for the United States government as possible. And I do believe that just like the United States was built on checks and balances, part of the checks and balances is that your accountant makes sure that you are also receiving as many of the... Um, not only deductions, but strategies that are afforded to you under the tax code. And the one thing, though, that you cannot dispute is accounting for revenue, not only for yourself, but for your employees. So that's why this is so imperative that you understand how about payroll taxes, because it's it's revenue that you, you can't dispute with the IRS. It's, it's very black and white. If you have revenue you must report it. If your employees have revenue, they must report it. So if if you don't report the revenue, the payroll reports the same way that the employees do, then that's a huge red flag and that needs to be addressed. Very, very good point. And so, I mean, that's something that we all should be doing anyway as upstanding citizens that are having full disclosure, that are being honest people. So um, this needs to be accurate down to the penny and that's all your 940 and 941 payments uh, the the W 2s should match those specifically. Yeah, and, and Rachel, it doesn't even it doesn't even come into uh, honesty. It comes because if you're just incompetent, right? Because you haven't taken care of it, it doesn't make any difference. You can't just tell the IRS, "Oh, I'm sorry, we we just forgot about this one." Sure. So you're, they're they're not going to say, "Oh, that's okay, Bruce." This time, <laughs> um, they're still going to penalize you, right? And uh, and in, in extreme cases, you could get you know, a jail sentence. Re not reporting revenue is a very bad thing. Very, very good point. So then we also want to make sure all transactions are properly categorized. We um, really kind of discussed this one already, but anything mm -hmm. that is improperly categorized or not categorized is going to be a huge red flag to the IRS. Um, and we don't want to attract an audit if we don't need to. So these are the reasons why we want to make sure this is shored up. Yeah, even if you're gonna even if you're gonna win an audit, which one of my colleagues has actually gone through two audits, and in both times actually got more money back from the IRS. But the time and energy it takes you to go through that audit, it's not even worth getting more money back from the IRS because it's just a physical drain, it's an emotional drain. Plus, it's a, it takes you away from your your business. Absolutely. Um, one thing I think I might have skipped over was. And, and I'm, I've been guilty of this in the past is your credit card statements. You have to check that, make sure that you didn't put any 
business expenses on your your personal credit cards. I've done that in the past. I don't know what my excuse is for doing it. Other it's than just I really have, easy to whip out the wrong card at the wrong time. Well, I was I just going <laughs> to say, I have, I have uh, two car, two visas, and they're both Southwest uh, visas because I love to have the Southwest miles. One is silver and one is black, so I should be able to tell the difference, but I occasionally I just take out the wrong card. And honestly, I have done the same thing. And so has Lucas. And so when we look at that, we say, okay, well, we need to correct this. So it's a reimbursement or it's a pay shuffle somehow, but you do need to make sure that you are completely keeping business transactions separate from personal. There should never be groceries and paying your mortgage on the business side. There should never be um, business expenses on your personal side because you really want to take full advantage of those deductions. So just make sure that that's really clean. And if there have been mistakes, make sure that they're corrected. And then also this mentions any home office expenses. So expenses for maintaining a home office count as business expenses. A lot of people don't write these off as fully as they could. There's multiple ways to take this, whether it's looking at the square footage or the usable space or a portion of your home. And so you can end up writing off utilities as well as a portion. It's really important to make sure that you've got that all taken care of and accounted for cleanly and correctly to maximize deductions there. So that was looking through your income statement. Then they talk about going then through your balance sheet and having certain items that you want to review there. Now, those are not going to factor in as heavily to your tax return, but it is still really important to be accurate just so that you have a clean slate going into the new year. And so there could be things that you need to adjust and check the end balances, uh, things like your account or your asset accounts, your liability accounts. Bruce, what do you want to add into that? Well, these are just normal things that your um, accountant should be doing, but you need to be aware of them. Uh, You know, oftentimes I've actually had a relative who had a small business and and, uh, his bookkeeper embezzled a quarter of a million dollars from him Mm. because he never checked the, the bookkeeper, what the bookkeeper was doing. And, you know, a lot of people said, say, well, that's why I was hired. That's why I hired them. Well, that's yes, you hire them for their expertise and you hire them to do the the uh, the stuff that you're not good at as far as far as income or in inputting. But you really still need to look at the numbers on a very regular basis. Absolutely. Just a really good check and balance system for your own peace of mind. And again, for finding things that need to be corrected outside of the bookkeeping that might be um, personnel issues as well. So then let's move into the forms to file. This talks about having a W-9 on file for all contractors. That needs to include all the information from their 1099 um, so that it can be filed correctly and completely. Uh, It talks about making sure that um, vendors have their 1099 form in hand as well. And then do any adjustments need to be made on those employee wage forms that we talked about earlier, the 940 and the 941s, and then making sure that you go ahead and file the W-2s, which have all the information from the W-4s that were filled out by HR when the employee was hired. So there's a lot of paperwork that has to happen to make sure that reporting is done accurately for your payroll and everything that you're paying to employees and contractors. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, Rachel, the only thing is I I think we're going to be able to put this this very concise checklist um, as part of something that people can look at on the blog or with the podcast, correct? 
Yes, we can. Yes. So this checklist just kind of goes over everything that they mentioned here. Um, the last thing they do say is to check the budget and zero. If you're using other software, maybe QuickBooks or something else, you're going to check your budget there as well. And that's really just planning ahead for next year. Um, and how did things change from current year to next year? Mm-hmm. So again, super helpful article. We will have that visual as well, the visual checklist in the show notes. So let's move on to what I felt was my favorite article um, of this series. And this is an article by Garrett Gunderson of Wealth Factory. This is called The Three Simple Year-End Tax Moves That Give Big Results to Small Business Owners. Big title um, for three big things that you can do. And we've covered a few of these briefly as well, but I want to make sure that we um, make a make a big point with this as well because you can have significant tax savings with the proper planning. Yeah, this is the big finale to the podcast. This is like the last number uh, of the musical. This is like the uh, the encore to the concert. Uh, we both know Garrett. Um, I've had the pleasure of being at different conferences. Garrett has a really good way of presenting things. And I really like the first full paragraph. He says, you can get significant tax savings with proper planning. In fact, a meeting with your CPA tax attorney or estate planning team before the end of the year could easily pay for your next family vacation. Mm-hmm. And so if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what what what's going to motivate you. Oh, absolutely. And we already know that most entrepreneurs and business owners are reaching for that pleasure. They're not necessarily avoiding pain. So when we're reaching for that next um, awesome lifestyle, the next amazing vacation we want to have, that's definitely something that is hugely motivating to all of us. And then he, then he actually reinforced something that we said earlier is you don't want to spend money on things you don't need just to save a few dollars on your tax bill. And that's about buying equipment. It's it's not it's not smart tax planning. Instead, this it's about strategically accelerating or delaying specific purchases, which we've already talked about, um, mm-hmm. or seeing if a new tax strategy puts more money back in your wallet. And I believe specifically he's talking about whether you should be an S-Corp, a C-Corp, a sole proprietor, however it, it works out in your particular business. Absolutely. I did really like how his year-end tax tip number one, defer income and accelerate expenses. So again, a piece that we already discussed. He has a lot more detail built into this and specifics in terms of when something needs to be on the books. He also mentions a 12-month rule. So you can prepay for items up to 12 months in advance and take that deduction now. Okay, another thing that is really important is whether you're using a, an accrual method or a, or a cash method of accounting, because you you want this allows you to micromanage your year-end uh, business income to minimize taxes. So just work with your professional, your tax professional, before taking any action, because the difference between the cash method of accounting and accrual method uh, a method of accounting is very important. Whether you you uh, take um, upfront expenses or not. Excellent. Yes. And so he talks about these are things that you can do if you are a cash-based accounting method. So you're going to have differences if you are on the accrual method. And so he talks about what's really interesting to me is some of the specific details like postmarking. So for instance, to defer income until next year, meaning that you might've received it next year, but it applies to this year's this year's money or this year's um, sales, the general rule is that you don't have to report income until the year you receive cash or checks in hand or through the mail. So maybe the other business sent it, 
in 2018, but you received it in 2019. You don't have to report it until 2019. So that allows you to defer some income until the next tax year. You're not going to have to collect that money until the 2019 calendar year. And he does mention as well to only use this for customers with solid payment histories. And I really love that because just because it might be advantageous to you, you don't want to jeopardize possibly getting paid at all by somebody who maybe you don't have that good track record mm-hmm. or history with. So so the year-end tax tip too is accelerate depreciation. Now, he started out the article by saying, you know, don't buy things that you don't need just to get a, a tax deduction. But he is once again talking about Section 179, which is a, a huge boon for small business owners, um, where you can actually get up to a million dollars of um, tax deduction for equipment. And as you mentioned earlier, it could be used or it could be uh, new to you or new to you or a- absolutely new. Absolutely. He also has a link to um, Section 179 going more in depth on that. And so we'll also make sure that that is included in the in the show notes for this podcast. So then he has his number three, and that is year end tax tip number three, get a second opinion on your taxes. And this is something that we are huge proponents of. And the reason is that often we hear somebody say, my CPA is the best. And we generally think that and we want to think that about all the relationships that we have. But sometimes somebody is not taking full advantage of all of the deductions that they could and the correct tax planning strategy that really is going to maximize their tax savings this year and every year going forward into the future. So the cool thing is that you can have a second opinion, even if you do think your CPA is the best, because that's going to allow you then to potentially take advantage of new tax savings um, tips and, and strategies. So you can, the IRS allows you to go back up to three years in the past and look at all of those tax returns and see if any changes are needed And if they are, you have the possibility to go back and amend those returns. So you might have paid more than more tax than you need to, or you might have paid a tax when you should have received a tax credit instead. And those things are things that can be fixed even in retrospect. Yeah, and I and I want to I want to defend CPAs and tax professionals right now because I say this all the time. Even there's eighty thousand plus pages in the tax code. They try to know as much as possible. They, they go educate themselves. They do continue in education. But the fact of the matter is they're trying to do the entire world's, well, entire United States. They're trying to do it in, a, in about a four-month period. <clears throat> and really, it's even less mm-hmm. than that. Yes, you can, you can file an extension, so on and so forth. But you still have to, um, for, for business owners to file... Um, it would be in, in March and then you file an extension for personal, it's in April. They are worn out. Um, they oftentimes, they just simply don't have enough time to meet with you. And so that's imperative that you meet with them off season. The other thing that's difficult, and cause we have a tax office in, in, in our, with our firm is the amount of turnover that's in tax in the tax profession because most of these people are seasonal people and that that seasonalness causes them to almost be like guns for hire so there's not a uh, a feeling of hey I'm going to see you again next year now the, the the lead CPAs 
even they, I see them, I'm seeing more and more turnover in different firms. And the reason is, is because it, it is such a um, taxing profession for those six months or so that they just get tired of an environment because they're. Did you do that on purpose? The taxing profession? Oh, no, I, I didn't, but that was profession. pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah. You're pretty clever, and Bruce. So, <laughs> and so they just they just need new environments because they're always searching for that perfect environment. So we, we have an influx. We have our, our base CPAs that have been with us forever, but then we just have this kind of revolving door. And then I talk to other CPA firms and they say, if you can figure that out, please tell us because we have the same thing. And it's just, mm. it, it's a seasonal work, even for seasoned that, there's another little play on words. It's a seasonal work, even for seasoned <laughs> CPAs. And so having a second opinion because they're tired or they're just not invested in you is a great thing to do. And Garrett actually has some examples of he's done a couple of of um, second opinions. And it wasn't just just a little bit. In one case, it was $41,930. And in another case, it was $13,000. Yeah, they got back back. another was $13,666. So, uh, which is huge then. So, if you're investing the time to do the second opinion and you're then getting that return on it, it it definitely is worth it. Yeah, and Garrett makes a great point. He says, the IRS never tells you that, oh, I think you missed some tax strategies. They never tell you on that direction or they never tell you, oh, you made a mistake. You know, you really could have taken advantage of this. You took advantage of it. Yeah. Right. It's not their job. It's their job to collect the taxes. You took advantage of last year. Why didn't you take advantage of this year? Um, Luckily, my CPA does that. They'll say, hey, you you took this last year. Why aren't you taking this year? Or you did this much in marketing costs last year. And this year it's 20% lower. Is that right? Or did you, or did you forget something? Um, so the, the IRS is going to do it the other way. They're going to say, now, wait a minute. All of a sudden last year, you only took 2000 in marketing costs. And this year you took 40,000 in marketing costs. What's going on there? But they won't do it the other way. Right. They won't do it if you took 40,000 one year. And then 2000, the next year, they won't say, now, wait a minute, are you sure this is correct? You should be getting a tax deduction. <laughs> right. So Garrett makes that point. And I think that's a, it's a really good point to end on. So, yeah. So if you want someone who's working in your favor on your side, make sure that you do have a proactive CPA who's willing to ask those questions. And I would add in who loves their job, is passionate about their work, loves understanding the tax code and embraces it, not just saying, okay, this is just my job and it's just seasonal and it's a taxing profession and it's challenging for me to go through this, but really somebody who is passionate about helping their clients to And And do you have somebody proactive. in mind with, that does it? I do. In fact, we, we use someone on our team. And so if you would like to permanently reduce your tax, you can talk with our team at Insight Tax and Accounting. We've had Dustin Griffiths from their team on our show twice before. So we'll link also to those Um, tax articles, but they will help you to strategize and best prepare not only for this year, but also to make sure that every year going forward that you have this tax strategy in place to minimize and permanently, permanently reduce your taxes. So if you'd like to put any of these ideas into action that we've discussed today, 
and reduce your taxable income this year and every year in the future, you can reach out to their team for a consultation. Now, I will mention at the date that this article is going live and this podcast, they're really close to the end of the year and they're very busy because they do proactively work with all of their clients to meet with them at the end of the year to make sure that they're strategizing. So they've got a huge book of business that they're already helping through this. So don't be surprised if you do not get a meeting until early January into the next year and you're into 2019. So I do want to share that with you. But at the same time, it's worth it to get that second opinion, to do the three-year look back. And it's never too early to start planning for next year to be the best year in your business life and make sure that you're saving as much money in taxes, increasing that cash flow. So then you can put that cash flow to better use and increase your cash flow. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.